2018 AI Alignment Literature Review and Charity Comparison by Larks. Welcome to the Nonlinear Library, where we use text-to-speech software to convert the best writing from the rationalist and EA communities into audio. This is, 2018 AI Alignment Literature Review and Charity Comparison, published by Larks on the AI Alignment Forum. Cross-posted to the EA Forum. Introduction. Like last year and the year before, I've attempted to review the research that has been produced by various organizations working on AI safety, to help potential donors gain a better understanding of the landscape. This is a similar role to that which GiveWell performs for global health charities, and somewhat similar to an securities analyst with regards to possible investments. It appears that once again no one else has attempted to do this, to my knowledge, so I've once again undertaken the task. This year I have included several groups not covered in previous years, and read more widely in the literature. My aim is basically to judge the output of each organization in 2018 and compare it to their budget. This should give a sense for the organization's average cost effectiveness. We can also compare their financial reserves to their 2019 budgets to get a sense of urgency. Note that this document is quite long, so I encourage you to just read the sections that seem most relevant to your interests, probably the sections about the individual organizations. I do not recommend you skip to the conclusions. I'd like to apologize in advance to everyone doing useful AI safety work whose contributions I may have overlooked or misconstrued. Methodological considerations. Track records. Judging organizations on their historical output is naturally going to favor more mature organizations. A new startup, whose value all lies in the future, will be disadvantaged. However, I think that this is correct. The newer the organization, the more funding should come from people with close knowledge. As organizations mature, and have more easily verifiable signals of quality, their funding sources can transition to larger pools of less expert money. This is how it works for startups turning into public companies and I think the same model applies here. This judgment involves analyzing a large number of papers relating to risk that were produced during 2018. Hopefully the year-to-year volatility of output is sufficiently low that this is a reasonable metric. I also attempted to include papers during December 2017, to take into account the fact that I'm missing the last month's worth of output from 2017, but I can't be sure I did this successfully. This article focuses on AI risk work. If you think other causes are important too, your priorities might differ. This particularly affects GCRI, FHI and CHE, who both do a lot of work on other issues. We focus on papers, rather than outreach or other activities. This is partly because they are much easier to measure, While there has been a large increase in interest in AI safety over the last year, it's hard to work out who to credit for this, and partly because I think progress has to come by persuading AI researchers, which I think comes through technical outreach and publishing good work, not popular political work. Politics. My impression is that policy on technical subjects, as opposed to issues that attract strong views from the general population, is generally made by the government and civil servants in consultation with, and being lobbied by, outside experts and interests. Without expert, for example top ML researchers at Google, CMU and Baidu, consensus, no useful policy will be enacted. Pushing directly for policy seems if anything likely to hinder expert consensus. Attempts to directly influence the government to regulate AI research seem very adversarial, and risk being pattern matched to ignorant opposition to GM foods or nuclear power. We don't want the us versus them situation, that has occurred with climate change, to happen here. AI researchers who are dismissive of safety law, regarding it as an imposition and encumbrance to be endured or evaded, will probably be harder to convince of the need to voluntarily be extra safe, especially as the regulations may actually be totally ineffective. The only case I can think of where scientists are relatively happy about punitive safety regulations, nuclear power, 
is one where many of those initially concerned were scientists themselves. Given this, I actually think policy outreach to the general population is probably negative in expectation. If you're interested in this I'd recommend you read this blog post, also reviewed below. Openness. I think there is a strong case to be made that openness in AGI capacity development is bad. As such I do not ascribe any positive value to programs to democratize AI or similar. One interesting question is how to evaluate non-public research. For a lot of safety research, openness is clearly the best strategy. But what about safety research that has, or potentially has, capabilities implications, or other info hazards? In this case it seems best if the researchers do not publish it. However, this leaves funders in a tough position, how can we judge researchers if we cannot read their work? Maybe instead of doing top-secret valuable research they are just slacking off. If we donate to people who say trust me, it's very important and has to be secret we risk being taken advantage of by charlatans, but if we refuse to fund, we incentivize people to reveal possible info hazards for the sake of money. Is it even a good idea to publicize that someone else is doing secret research? With regard published research, in general I think it is better for it to be open access, rather than behind journal paywalls, to maximize impact. Reducing this impact by a significant amount in order for the researcher to gain a small amount of prestige does not seem like an efficient way of compensating researchers to me. Thankfully this does not occur much with CS papers as they are all on R14, but it is an issue for some strategy papers. More prosaically, organizations should make sure to upload the research they have published to their website. Having gone to all the trouble of doing useful research it is a shame how many organizations don't take this simple step to significantly increase the reach of their work. Research flywheel. My basic model for AI safety success is this. Identify interesting problems. As a byproduct this draws new people into the field through nerd sniping. Solve interesting problems. As a byproduct this draws new people into the field through credibility and prestige. Repeat. One advantage of this model is that it produces both object-level work and field growth. There is also some value in arguing for the importance of the field, for example Bostrom's superintelligence, or addressing criticisms of the field. Noticeably absent are strategic pieces. In previous years I have found these helpful, however, lately fewer seem to yield incremental updates to my views, so I generally ascribe lower value to these. This does not apply to technical strategy pieces, about for example whether SURL or amplification is a more promising approach. Near versus far safety research. One approach is to research things that will make contemporary ML systems more safe, because you think AGI will be a natural outgrowth from contemporary ML, and this is the only way to get feedback on your ideas. I think of this approach as being exemplified by concrete problems. You might also hope that even if ML ends up leading us into another AI winter, the near-term solutions will generalize in a useful way, though this is of course hard to judge. To the extent that you endorse this approach, you would probably be more likely to donate to Chai. Another approach is to try to reason directly about the sorts of issues that will arise with superintelligent AI, and won't get solved anyway, rendered irrelevant as a natural side effect of ordinary ML research. To the extent that you endorse this approach, you would probably be more likely to donate to Miri, especially for their Agent Foundation's work. I am not sure how to relatively value these two things. There are a number of other topics that often get mentioned as AI safety issues. I generally do not think it is important to support organizations or individuals working on these issues unless there is some direct read-through to AGI safety. I have heard it argued that we should become experts in these areas in order to gain credibility and influence for the real policy work. However, I am somewhat skeptical of this, as I suspect that as soon as a domain is narrow AI solved it will cease to be viewed as AI. 
Autonomous cars. My view is that the localized nature of any tragedies plus the strong incentive alignment mean that private companies will solve this problem by themselves. Unemployment. While technological advance continually mechanize and replace labor in individual categories, it also opens up new ones. Contemporaneous unemployment has more to do with poor macroeconomic policy and inflexible labor markets than robots. AI strong enough to replace humans in basically every job is basically AGI complete. At that point we should be worried about survival, and if we solve the alignment problem well enough to prevent extinction we will have likely also solved it well enough to also prevent mass unemployment, or at least the negative effects of such, if you believe the two can be separated. There has been an increase in interest in a basic income dash and unconditional cash transfer given to all citizens, as a solution to AI-driven unemployment. I think this is a big mistake, and largely motivated reasoning by people who would have supported it anyway. In a Hansonian scenario, all meat-based humanity has is our property rights. If property rights are strong, we will become very rich. If they are weak, and the policy is that every agent gets a fair share, all the wealth will be eaten up as Malthusian EMs massively outnumber physical humans and driving the basic income down to the price of some cycles on AWS. Bias. The vast majority of discussion in this area seems to consist of people who are annoyed at ML systems are learning based on the data, rather than based on the prejudices moral views of the writer. While in theory this could be useful for teaching people about the difficulty of the alignment problem, the complexity of human value, etc., in practice I doubt this is the case. This presentation is one of the better I have seen on the subject. Other existential risks. Some of the organizations described below also do work on other existential risks, for example GCRI, FLI and CHE. I am not an expert on others' risks they are hard for me to evaluate work in, but it seems likely that many people who care about AI alignment will also care about them, so I will mention publications in these areas. The exception is climate change, which is highly non-neglected. Financial reserves. Charities like having financial reserves to provide runway, and guaranteed that they will be able to keep the lights on for the immediate future. This could be justified if you thought that charities were expensive to create and destroy, and were worried about this occurring by accident due to the whims of donors. Donors prefer charities to not have too much reserves. Firstly, those reserves are cash that could be being spent on outcomes now, by either the specific charity or others. Valuable future activities by charities are supported by future donations, they do not need to be pre-funded. Additionally, having reserves increases the risk of organizations going rogue, because they are insulated from the need to convince donors of their value. As such, in general I do not give full credence to charities saying they need more funding because they want more than a year of runway in the bank. A year's worth of reserves should provide plenty of time to raise more funding. It is worth spending a moment thinking about the equilibrium here. If donors target a lower runway number than charities, charities might curtail their activities to allow their reserves to last for longer. At this lower level of activities, donors would then decide a lower level of reserves are necessary, and so on, until eventually the overly conservative charity ends up with a budget of zero, with all the resources instead given to other groups who turn donations into work more promptly. This is allows donor funds to be turned into research more quickly. I estimated reserves equals, cash and grants, 2019 budget, committed annual funding. In general I think of this as something of a measure of urgency. This is a simpler calculation than many organizations, MIRI, CHI etc., shared with me, because I want to be able to compare consistently across organizations. I attempted to compare the amount of reserves different organizations had, but found this rather difficult. Some organizations were extremely open about their financing, thank you CHI. Others were less so. As such these should be considered suggestive only. Donation matching. 
In general I believe that charity-specific donation matching schemes are somewhat dishonest, despite my having provided matching funding for at least one in the past. Ironically, despite this view being espoused by GiveWell, albeit in 2011, this is basically of Open Phil's policy of, at least in some cases, artificially limiting their funding to 50% of a charity's need, which some charities argue, though not by Open Phil themselves that I recall, effectively provides a one-to-one match for outside donors. I think this is bad. In the best case this forces outside donors to step in, imposing marketing costs on the charity and research costs on the donors. In the worst case it leaves valuable projects unfunded. Obviously cause neutral donation matching is different and should be exploited. Everyone should max out their corporate matching programs if possible, and things like the annual Facebook match and the quadratic voting match were great opportunities. Poor quality research. Partly thanks to the efforts of the community, the field of AI safety is considerably more well-respected and funded than was previously the case, which has attracted a lot of new researchers. While generally good, one side effect of this, perhaps combined with the fact that many low-hanging fruits of the insight tree have been plucked, is that a considerable amount of low-quality work has been produced. For example, there are a lot of papers which can be accurately summarized as asserting just use ML to learn ethics. Furthermore, the conventional peer review system seems to be extremely bad at dealing with this issue. The standard view here is just to ignore low-quality work. This has many advantages, for example 1, it requires little effort, 2, it doesn't annoy people. This conspiracy of silence seems to be the strategy adopted by most scientific fields, except in extreme cases like anti-vaxxers. However, I think there are some downsides to this strategy. A sufficiently large milieu of low-quality work might degrade the reputation of the field, deterring potentially high-quality contributors. While low-quality contributions might help improve concrete problem citation count, they may use up scarce funding. Moreover, it is not clear to me that just ignore it really generalizes as a community strategy. Perhaps you, enlightened reader, can judge that how to solve AI ethics, just use RNNs is not great. But is it really efficient to require everyone to independently work this out? Furthermore, I suspect that the idea that we can all just ignore the weak stuff is somewhat an example of typical mind fallacy. Several times I have come across people I respect according respect to work I found blatantly rubbish. And several times I have come across people I respect arguing persuasively that work I had previously respected was very bad, but I only learned they believe this by chance. So I think it is quite possible that many people will waste a lot of time as a result of this strategy, especially if they don't happen to move in the right social circles. Finally, I will note that the two examples which spring to mind of cases where the EA community has forthrightly criticized people for producing epistemically poor work, namely intentional insights and ACE, seem ex post to have been the right thing to do, although in both cases the targets were inside the EA community, rather than vaguely aligned academics. Having said all that, I am not a fan of unilateral action, so will largely continue to abide by this non-aggression convention. My only deviation here is to make it explicit, though see this by 80,000 hours. The Bay Area. Much of the AI and EA communities, and especially the EA community concerned with AI, is located in the Bay Area, especially Berkeley and San Francisco. This is an extremely expensive place, and is dysfunctional both politically and socially. A few months ago I read a series of stories about abuse in the Bay and was struck by how many things I considered abhorrent were in the story merely as background. In general I think the centralization is bad, but if there must be centralization I would prefer it be almost anywhere other than Berkeley. Additionally, I think many funders are geographically myopic, and biased towards funding things in the Bay Area. As such, I have a mild preference towards funding non-Bay Area projects. If you're interested in this topic I recommend you reading this or this or this. 
Organizations and Research. MIRI, the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. MIRI is the largest pure play AI existential risk group. Based in Berkeley, it focuses on mathematics research that is unlikely to be produced by academics, trying to build the foundations for the development of safe AIs. They were founded by Eliezer Yukowski and lead by Nate Soares. Historically they have been responsible for much of the germination of the field, including advocacy, but are now focused on research. In general they do very pure mathematical work, in comparison to other organization with more applied ML or strategy focuses. I have historically been impressed with their research. Their agent foundation's work is basically trying to develop the correct way of thinking about agents and learning decision-making by spotting areas where our current models fail and seeking to improve them. Research. Garabrand and Dembski's Embedded Agency Sequence is a short sequence of blog posts outlining Mirai's thinking about agent foundations. It describes the issues about how to reason about agents that are embedded in their environment. I found it to be a very intuitive explanation of many issues that Miri is working on. However, little of it will be new to someone who has worked through Mirai's previous, less accessible work on the subject. Yukowski and Cristiano's challenges to Cristiano's capability amplification proposal discusses Eliezer's objections to Paul's amplification agenda in back-and-forth blog format. Eliezer has a couple of objections. At a high level, Paul is attempting a more direct solution, working largely within the existing ML framework, versus Mirai's desire to work on things like agent foundations first. Eliezer is concerned that most aggregation amplification methods do not preserve alignment, and that finding one that does, and building the low-level agents, is essentially as hard as solving the alignment problem. Any loss of alignment would be multiplied with every level of amplification. Thirdly, there may be many problems that need sequential work, additional bandwidth does not suffice. Additionally, he objects that Paul's ideas would likely be far too slow, due to the huge amount of human input required. This was an interesting post, but I think could have been more clear. Researchers from OpenAI were also named authors on the paper. Yukowski's The Rocket Alignment Problem is a blog post presenting a Galileo-style dialogue analogy for why Miri is taking a seemingly indirect approach to AI safety. It was enjoyable, but I'm not sure how convincing it would be to outsiders. I guess if you thought a deep understanding of the target domain was never necessary it could provide an existence proof. Dembski's An Untrollable Mathematician Illustrated provides a very accessible explanation to some results about logical induction. Miri researchers also appeared as co-authors on Mannheim and Garabrand's Categorizing Variants of Goodhart's Law Nondisclosure Policy Last month Miri announced their new policy of nondisclosure by default. Going forward, most results discovered within Miri will remain internal only unless there is an explicit decision to release those results, based usually on a specific anticipated safety upside from their release. This is a significant change from their previous policy. As of circa a year ago my understanding was that Miri would be doing secret research largely in addition to their current research programs, not that all their programs would become essentially secret. At the same time secrecy at Miri is not entirely new. I'm aware of at least one case from 2010 where they decided not to publish something for similar reasons, as far as I'm aware this thing has never been declassified-indeed perhaps it has been forgotten. In any case, one consequence of this is that for 2018 Miri has published essentially nothing. Exceptions to this are discussed above. I find this very awkward to deal with. On the one hand, I do not want people to be pressured into premature disclosure for the sake of funding. This space is sufficiently full of info hazards that secrecy might be necessary, and in its absence researchers might prudently shy away from working on potentially risky things, in the same way that no one in business sends sensitive information over email anymore. Miri are in exactly the sort of situation that you would expect might give rise to the need for extreme secrecy.
If secret research is a necessary step on route to saving the world, it will have to be done by someone, and it is not clear there is anyone much better. On the other hand, I don't think we can give people money just because they say they are doing good things, because of the risk of abuse. There are many other reasons for not publishing anything. A some simple ones would be we failed to produce anything publishable or it is fun to fool ourselves into thinking we have exciting secrets or we are doing bad things and don't want to get caught. Additionally, by hiding the highest quality work we risk impoverishing the field, making it look unproductive and unattractive to potential new researchers. One possible solution would be for the research to be done by impeccably deontologically moral people, whose moral code you understand and trust. Unfortunately, I do not think this is the case with Miri. I also don't think it is the case with many other organizations, so this is not a specific criticism of Miri, except in so much as you might have held them to a higher standard than others. Another possible solution would be for major donors to be insiders, who read the secret stuff and can verify it is worth supporting. If the organization also wanted to keep small donors the large donors could give their seal of approval, otherwise the organization could simply decide it did not need them anymore. However, if Miri are adopting this strategy they are keeping it a secret from me. Perhaps this is reassuring about their ability to keep secrets. Perhaps we hope that Miri employees would leak information of any wrongdoing, but not leak potential info hazards. Finally, I will note that Miriar have been very generous with their time in attempting to help me understand what they are doing. Finances. According to Miri they have around 1.5 years of expenses in reserve, and their 2019 estimated budget is around $4.8 million. This does not include the potential purchase of a new office they are considering. There is prima facie counterfactually valid matching funding available from Regis Double Up Drive. If you wanted to donate to Miri, here is the relevant webpage. FHI, the Future of Humanity Institute. FHI is a well-established research institute, affiliated with Oxford and led by Nick Bostrom. Compared to the other groups we are reviewing they have a large staff and large budget. As a relatively mature institution they produced a decent amount of research over the last year that we can evaluate. They also do a significant amount of outreach work. Their research is more varied than Mirai's, including strategic work, work directly addressing the value learning problem, and corrigibility work. Research. Armstrong and O'Rourke's Indifference Methods for Managing Agent Rewards provides an overview of Stewart's work on indifference. These are methods that try to prevent agents from manipulating a certain event, or ignore it, or change utility function without trying to fight it. In the paper they lay out extensive formalism and prove some results. Some but not all will be familiar to people who have been following his other work in the area. The key to understanding the why the utility function in the example is defined the way it is, and vulnerable to the problem described in the paper, is that we do not directly observe age, hence the need to base it on wristband status. I found the example a little confusing because it could also be solved by just scaling up the punishment for misidentification that is caught, in line with Becker's Crime and Punishment, an Economic Approach, 1974, but this approach wouldn't work if you didn't know the probabilities ahead of time. Overall I thought this was an excellent paper. Researchers from ANU were also named authors on the paper. Armstrong and Minderman's impossibility of deducing preferences and rationality from human policy argues that you cannot infer human preferences from the actions of people who may be irrational in unknown ways. The basic point is quite trivial, that arbitrary irrationalities can mean that any set of values could have produced the observed actions, but at the same time I hadn't internalized why this would be a big problem for the IRL framework, and in any case it is good to have important things written down. More significant is they also show that simplicity assumptions will not save us, the simplest solution will, almost definitely, be degenerate. This suggests we do need to hard-code some priors about human values into the AI, 
they suggest beliefs about truthful human utterances, though of course as speech acts are acts all the same, it seems that some of the same problems occur again at this level of meta. Alternatives, not mentioned in the paper, could be to look to psychology or biology, for example height or evolutionary biology. Overall I thought this was an excellent paper. Armstrong and O'Rourke's safe uses of AI oracles suggest two possible safe oracle designs. The first takes advantage of Stewart's trademark indifference results to build an oracle whose reward is only based on cases where the output after being automatically verified is deleted, and hence cannot attempt to manipulate humanity. I thought this was clever, and it's nice to see some payoff from the indifference machinery he's been working on, though this oracle only works for NP-style questions, and assumes the verifier cannot be manipulated, which is a big assumption. The paper also includes a simulation of such an oracle, showing how the restriction affects performance. The rest of the paper describes the more classic technique of restricting an oracle to give answers simple enough that we hope they're not potentially manipulative, and frequently restarting the oracle. Researchers from ANU were also named authors on the paper. Cross-posted to the EA Forum. Introduction. Like last year and the year before, I've attempted to review the research that has been produced by various organizations working on AI safety, to help potential donors gain a better understanding of the landscape. This is a similar role to that which Give Well performs for global health charities, and somewhat similar to an securities analyst with regards to possible investments. It appears that once again no one else has attempted to do this, to my knowledge, so I've once again undertaken the task. This year I have included several groups not covered in previous years, and read more widely in the literature. My aim is basically to judge the output of each organization in 2018 and compare it to their budget. This should give a sense for the organization's average cost-effectiveness. We can also compare their financial reserves to their 2019 budgets to get a sense of urgency. Note that this document is quite long, so I encourage you to just read the sections that seem most relevant to your interests, probably the sections about the individual organizations. I do not recommend you skip to the conclusions. I'd like to apologize in advance to everyone doing useful AI safety work whose contributions I may have overlooked or misconstrued. Methodological Considerations Track Records Judging organizations on their historical output is naturally going to favor more mature organizations. A new startup, whose value all lies in the future, will be disadvantaged. However, I think that this is correct. The newer the organization, the more funding should come from people with close knowledge. As organizations mature, and have more easily verifiable signals of quality, their funding sources can transition to larger pools of less expert money. This is how it works for startups turning into public companies and I think the same model applies here. This judgment involves analyzing a large number of papers relating to ZRISC that were produced during 2018. Hopefully the year-to-year volatility of output is sufficiently low that this is a reasonable metric. I also attempted to include papers during December 2017, to take into account the fact that I'm missing the last month's worth of output from 2017, but I can't be sure I did this successfully. This article focuses on AI risk work. If you think other causes are important too, your priorities might differ. This particularly affects GCRI, FHI and CHE, who both do a lot of work on other issues. We focus on papers, rather than outreach or other activities. This is partly because they are much easier to measure, while there has been a large increase in interest in AI safety over the last year, it's hard to work out who to credit for this, and partly because I think progress has to come by persuading AI researchers, which I think comes through technical outreach and publishing good work, not popular political work. Politics. My impression is that policy on technical subjects, as opposed to issues that attract strong views from the general population, is generally made by the government and civil servants in consultation with, and being lobbied by, outside experts and interests. 
Without expert, for example top ML researchers at Google, CMU and Baidu, consensus, no useful policy will be enacted. Pushing directly for policy seems if anything likely to hinder expert consensus. Attempts to directly influence the government to regulate AI research seem very adversarial, and risk being pattern matched to ignorant opposition to GM foods or nuclear power. We don't want the us versus them situation, that has occurred with climate change, to happen here. AI researchers who are dismissive of safety law, regarding it as an imposition and encumbrance to be endured or evaded, will probably be harder to convince of the need to voluntarily be extra safe, especially as the regulations may actually be totally ineffective. The only case I can think of where scientists are relatively happy about punitive safety regulations, nuclear power, is one where many of those initially concerned were scientists themselves. Given this, I actually think policy outreach to the general population is probably negative in expectation. If you're interested in this I'd recommend you read this blog post, also reviewed below. Openness. I think there is a strong case to be made that openness in AGI capacity development is bad. As such I do not ascribe any positive value to programs to democratize AI or similar. One interesting question is how to evaluate non-public research. For a lot of safety research, openness is clearly the best strategy. But what about safety research that has, or potentially has, capabilities implications, or other info hazards? In this case it seems best if the researchers do not publish it. However, this leaves funders in a tough position, how can we judge researchers if we cannot read their work? Maybe instead of doing top-secret valuable research they are just slacking off. If we donate to people who say trust me, it's very important and has to be secret we risk being taken advantage of by charlatans, but if we refuse to fund, we incentivize people to reveal possible info hazards for the sake of money. Is it even a good idea to publicize that someone else is doing secret research? With regard published research, in general I think it is better for it to be open access, rather than behind journal paywalls, to maximize impact. Reducing this impact by a significant amount in order for the researcher to gain a small amount of prestige does not seem like an efficient way of compensating researchers to me. Thankfully this does not occur much with CS papers as they are all on R14, but it is an issue for some strategy papers. More prosaically, organizations should make sure to upload the research they have published to their website. Having gone to all the trouble of doing useful research it is a shame how many organizations don't take this simple step to significantly increase the reach of their work. Research flywheel. My basic model for AI safety success is this. Identify interesting problems. As a byproduct this draws new people into the field through nerd sniping. Solve interesting problems. As a byproduct this draws new people into the field through credibility and prestige. Repeat. One advantage of this model is that it produces both object-level work and field growth. There is also some value in arguing for the importance of the field, for example Bostrom's superintelligence, or addressing criticisms of the field. Noticeably absent are strategic pieces. In previous years I have found these helpful, however, lately fewer seem to yield incremental updates to my views, so I generally ascribe lower value to these. This does not apply to technical strategy pieces, about for example whether Searle or amplification is a more promising approach. Near versus far safety research. One approach is to research things that will make contemporary ML systems more safe, because you think AGI will be a natural outgrowth from contemporary ML, and this is the only way to get feedback on your ideas. I think of this approach as being exemplified by concrete problems. You might also hope that even if ML ends up leading us into another AI winter, the near-term solutions will generalize in a useful way, though this is of course hard to judge. To the extent that you endorse this approach, you would probably be more likely to donate to Chai.
Another approach is to try to reason directly about the sorts of issues that will arise with superintelligent AI, and won't get solved anyway, rendered irrelevant as a natural side effect of ordinary ML research. To the extent that you endorse this approach, you would probably be more likely to donate to MIRI, especially for their Agent Foundation's work. I am not sure how to relatively value these two things. There are a number of other topics that often get mentioned as AI safety issues. I generally do not think it is important to support organizations or individuals working on these issues unless there is some direct read-through to AGI safety. I have heard it argued that we should become experts in these areas in order to gain credibility and influence for the real policy work. However, I am somewhat skeptical of this, as I suspect that as soon as a domain is narrow AI solved it will cease to be viewed as AI. Autonomous cars. My view is that the localized nature of any tragedies plus the strong incentive alignment mean that private companies will solve this problem by themselves. Unemployment. While technological advance continually mechanize and replace labor in individual categories, it also opens up new ones. Contemporaneous unemployment has more to do with poor macroeconomic policy and inflexible labor markets than robots. AI strong enough to replace humans in basically every job is basically AGI complete. At that point we should be worried about survival, and if we saw the alignment problem well enough to prevent extinction we will have likely also solved it well enough to also prevent mass unemployment, or at least the negative effects of such, if you believe the two can be separated. There has been an increase in interest in a basic income dash and unconditional cash transfer given to all citizens, as a solution to AI-driven unemployment. I think this is a big mistake, and largely motivated reasoning by people who would have supported it anyway. In a Hansonian scenario, all meat-based humanity has is our property rights. If property rights are strong, we will become very rich. If they are weak, and the policy is that every agent gets a fair share, all the wealth will be eaten up as malfusion EMs massively outnumber physical humans and driving the basic income down to the price of some cycles on AWS. Bias. The vast majority of discussion in this area seems to consist of people who are annoyed at ML systems are learning based on the data, rather than based on the prejudices moral views of the writer. While in theory this could be useful for teaching people about the difficulty of the alignment problem, the complexity of human value, etc., in practice I doubt this is the case. This presentation is one of the better I have seen on the subject. Other existential risks. Some of the organizations described below also do work on other existential risks, for example GCRI, FLI and CHE. I am not an expert on others' risks they are hard for me to evaluate work in, but it seems likely that many people who care about AI alignment will also care about them, so I will mention publications in these areas. The exception is climate change, which is highly non-neglected. Financial reserves. Charities like having financial reserves to provide runway, and guaranteed that they will be able to keep the lights on for the immediate future. This could be justified if you thought that charities were expensive to create and destroy, and were worried about this occurring by accident due to the whims of donors. Donors prefer charities to not have too much reserves. Firstly, those reserves are cash that could be being spent on outcomes now, by either the specific charity or others. Valuable future activities by charities are supported by future donations, they do not need to be pre-funded. Additionally, having reserves increases the risk of organizations going rogue, because they are insulated from the need to convince donors of their value. As such, in general I do not give full credence to charities saying they need more funding because they want more than a year of runway in the bank. A year's worth of reserves should provide plenty of time to raise more funding. It is worth spending a moment thinking about the equilibrium here. If donors target a lower runway number than charities, charities might curtail their activities to allow their reserves to last for longer. At this lower level of activities, 
donors would then decide a lower level of reserves are necessary, and so on, until eventually the overly conservative charity ends up with a budget of zero, with all the resources instead given to other groups who turn donations into work more promptly. This is allows donor funds to be turned into research more quickly. I estimated reserves equals, cash and grants, 2019 budget, committed annual funding. In general I think of this as something of a measure of urgency. This is a simpler calculation than many organizations, Miri, Chai etc., shared with me, because I want to be able to compare consistently across organizations. I attempted to compare the amount of reserves different organizations had, but found this rather difficult. Some organizations were extremely open about their financing, thank you Chai. Others were less so. As such these should be considered suggestive only. Donation matching. In general I believe that charity-specific donation matching schemes are somewhat dishonest, despite my having provided matching funding for at least one in the past. Ironically, despite this view being espoused by GiveWell, albeit in 2011, this is basically of Open Phil's policy of, at least in some cases, artificially limiting their funding to 50% of a charity's need, which some charities argue, though not by Open Phil themselves that I recall, effectively provides a one-to-one match for outside donors. I think this is bad. In the best case this forces outside donors to step in, imposing marketing costs on the charity and research costs on the donors. In the worst case it leaves valuable projects unfunded. Obviously cause neutral donation matching is different and should be exploited. Everyone should max out their corporate matching programs if possible, and things like the annual Facebook match and a quadratic voting match were great opportunities. Poor quality research. Partly thanks to the efforts of the community, The field of AI safety is considerably more well-respected and funded than was previously the case, which has attracted a lot of new researchers. While generally good, one side effect of this, perhaps combined with the fact that many low-hanging fruits of the inside tree have been plucked, is that a considerable amount of low-quality work has been produced. For example, there are a lot of papers which can be accurately summarized as asserting just use ML to learn ethics. Furthermore, the conventional peer review system seems to be extremely bad at dealing with this issue. The standard view here is just to ignore low-quality work. This has many advantages, for example 1, it requires little effort, 2, it doesn't annoy people. This conspiracy of silence seems to be the strategy adopted by most scientific fields, except in extreme cases like anti-vaxxers. However, I think there are some downsides to this strategy. A sufficiently large milieu of low-quality work might degrade the reputation of the field, deterring potentially high-quality contributors. While low-quality contributions might help improve concrete problem citation count, they may use up scarce funding. Moreover, it is not clear to me that just ignore it really generalizes as a community strategy. Perhaps you, enlightened reader, can judge that how to solve AI ethics, just use RNNs is not great. But is it really efficient to require everyone to independently work this out? Furthermore, I suspect that the idea that we can all just ignore the weak stuff is somewhat an example of typical mind fallacy. Several times I have come across people I respect according respect to work I found blatantly rubbish. And several times I have come across people I respect arguing persuasively that work I had previously respected was very bad, but I only learned they believe this by chance. So I think it is quite possible that many people will waste a lot of time as a result of this strategy, especially if they don't happen to move in the right social circles. Finally, I will note that the two examples which spring to mind of cases where the EA community has forthrightly criticized people for producing epistemically poor work, namely intentional insights and ACE, seem ex post to have been the right thing to do, although in both cases the targets were inside the EA community, rather than vaguely aligned academics. Having said all that, I am not a fan of unilateral action, 
so will largely continue to abide by this non-aggression convention. My only deviation here is to make it explicit, though see this by 80,000 hours. The Bay Area. Much of the AI and EA communities, and especially the EA community concerned with AI, is located in the Bay Area, especially Berkeley and San Francisco. This is an extremely expensive place, and is dysfunctional both politically and socially. A few months ago I read a series of stories about abuse in the Bay and was struck by how many things I considered apparent were in the story merely as background. In general I think the centralization is bad, but if there must be centralization I would prefer it be almost anywhere other than Berkeley. Additionally, I think many funders are geographically myopic, and biased towards funding things in the Bay Area. As such, I have a mild preference towards funding non-Bay Area projects. If you're interested in this topic I recommend you reading this or this or this. Organizations and Research MIRI, the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. MIRI is the largest pure-play AI existential risk group. Based in Berkeley, it focuses on mathematics research that is unlikely to be produced by academics, trying to build the foundations for the development of safe AIs. They were founded by Eliezer Yukowski and lead by Nate Soares. Historically they have been responsible for much of the germination of the field, including advocacy, but are now focused on research. In general they do very pure mathematical work, in comparison to other organization with more applied ML or strategy focuses. I have historically been impressed with their research. Their agent foundation's work is basically trying to develop the correct way of thinking about agents and learning decision making by spotting areas where our current models fail and seeking to improve them. Research. Garabrand and Dembski's Embedded Agency Sequence is a short sequence of blog posts outlining Mirai's thinking about agent foundations. It describes the issues about how to reason about agents that are embedded in their environment. I found it to be a very intuitive explanation of many issues that Miri is working on. However, little of it will be new to someone who has worked through Mirai's previous, less accessible work on the subject. Yukowski and Cristiano's challenges to Cristiano's capability amplification proposal discusses Eliezer's objections to Paul's amplification agenda in back-and-forth blog format. Eliezer has a couple of objections. At a high level, Paul is attempting a more direct solution, working largely within the existing ML framework, versus Mirai's desire to work on things like agent foundations first. Eliezer is concerned that most aggregation amplification methods do not preserve alignment, and that finding one that does, and building the low-level agents, is essentially as hard as solving the alignment problem. Any loss of alignment would be multiplied with every level of amplification. Thirdly, there may be many problems that need sequential work, additional bandwidth does not suffice. Additionally, he objects that Paul's ideas would likely be far too slow, due to the huge amount of human input required. This was an interesting post, but I think could have been more clear. Researchers from OpenAI were also named authors on the paper. Yukowski's The Rocket Alignment Problem is a blog post presenting a Galileo-style dialogue analogy for why Miri is taking a seemingly indirect approach to AI safety. It was enjoyable, but I'm not sure how convincing it would be to outsiders. I guess if you thought a deep understanding of the target domain was never necessary it could provide an existence proof. Dembski's An Untrollable Mathematician Illustrated provides a very accessible explanation to some results about logical induction. Miri researchers also appeared as co-authors on Mannheim and Garabrand's Categorizing Variants of Goodhart's Law Nondisclosure Policy Last month Miri announced their new policy of nondisclosure by default. Going forward, most results discovered within Miri will remain internal only unless there is an explicit decision to release those results, based usually on a specific anticipated safety upside from their release. This is a significant change from their previous policy. 
As of circa a year ago my understanding was that Miri would be doing secret research largely in addition to their current research programs, not that all their programs would become essentially secret. At the same time secrecy at Miri is not entirely new. I'm aware of at least one case from 2010 where they decided not to publish something for similar reasons, as far as I'm aware this thing has never been declassified-indeed perhaps it has been forgotten. In any case, one consequence of this is that for 2018 Miri has published essentially nothing. Exceptions to this are discussed above. I find this very awkward to deal with. On the one hand, I do not want people to be pressured into premature disclosure for the sake of funding. This space is sufficiently full of info hazards that secrecy might be necessary, and in its absence researchers might prudently shy away from working on potentially risky things, in the same way that no one in business sends sensitive information over email anymore. Miri are in exactly the sort of situation that you would expect might give rise to the need for extreme secrecy. If secret research is a necessary step on route to saving the world, it will have to be done by someone, and it is not clear there is anyone much better. On the other hand, I don't think we can give people money just because they say they are doing good things, because of the risk of abuse. There are many other reasons for not publishing anything. A some simple ones would be we failed to produce anything publishable or it is fun to fool ourselves into thinking we have exciting secrets or we are doing bad things and don't want to get caught. Additionally, by hiding the highest quality work we risk impoverishing the field, making it look unproductive and unattractive to potential new researchers. One possible solution would be for the research to be done by impeccably deontologically moral people, whose moral code you understand and trust. Unfortunately, I do not think this is the case with Miri. I also don't think it is the case with many other organizations, so this is not a specific criticism of Miri, except in so much as you might have held them to a higher standard than others. Another possible solution would be for major donors to be insiders, who read the secret stuff and can verify it is worth supporting. If the organization also wanted to keep small donors the large donors could give their seal of approval, otherwise the organization could simply decide it did not need them anymore. However, if Miri are adopting this strategy they are keeping it a secret from me. Perhaps this is reassuring about their ability to keep secrets. Perhaps we hope that Miri employees would leak information of any wrongdoing, but not leak potential info hazards. Finally, I will note that Miriar have been very generous with their time in attempting to help me understand what they are doing. Finances. According to Miri they have around 1.5 years of expenses in reserve, and their 2019 estimated budget is around $4.8 million. This does not include the potential purchase of a new office they are considering. There is prima facie counterfactually valid matching funding available from Regis Double Up Drive. If you wanted to donate to Miri, here is the relevant webpage. FHI, the Future of Humanity Institute. FHI is a well-established research institute, affiliated with Oxford and led by Nick Bostrom. Compared to the other groups we are reviewing they have a large staff and large budget. As a relatively mature institution they produced a decent amount of research over the last year that we can evaluate. They also do a significant amount of outreach work. Their research is more varied than Mirai's, including strategic work, work directly addressing the value learning problem, and corrigibility work. Research. Armstrong and O'Rourke's Indifference Methods for Managing Agent Rewards provides an overview of Stewart's work on indifference. These are methods that try to prevent agents from manipulating a certain event, or ignore it, or change utility function without trying to fight it. In the paper they lay out extensive formalism and prove some results. Some but not all will be familiar to people who have been following his other work in the area. The key to understanding the why the utility function in the example is defined the way it is, and vulnerable to the problem described in the paper, is that we do not directly observe age, hence the need to base it on wristband status. 
I found the example a little confusing because it could also be solved by just scaling up the punishment for misidentification that is caught, in line with Becker's Crime and Punishment, an Economic Approach, 1974, but this approach wouldn't work if you didn't know the probabilities ahead of time. Overall I thought this was an excellent paper. Researchers from ANU were also named authors on the paper. Armstrong and Minderman's impossibility of deducing preferences and rationality from human policy argues that you cannot infer human preferences from the actions of people who may be irrational in unknown ways. The basic point is quite trivial, that arbitrary irrationalities can mean that any set of values could have produced the observed actions, but at the same time I hadn't internalized why this would be a big problem for the IRL framework, and in any case it is good to have important things written down. More significant is they also show that simplicity assumptions will not save us, the simplest solution will, almost definitely, be degenerate. This suggests we do need to hard-code some priors about human values into the AI, they suggest beliefs about truthful human utterances, though of course as speech acts are acts all the same, it seems that some of the same problems occur again at this level of meta. Alternatives, not mentioned in the paper, could be to look to psychology or biology, for example height or evolutionary biology. Overall I thought this was an excellent paper. Armstrong and O'Rourke's safe uses of AI oracles suggest two possible safe oracle designs. The first takes advantage of Stewart's trademark indifference results to build an oracle whose reward is only based on cases where the output after being automatically verified is deleted, and hence cannot attempt to manipulate humanity. I thought this was clever, and it's nice to see some payoff from the indifference machinery he's been working on, though this oracle only works for NP-style questions, and assumes the verifier cannot be manipulated, which is a big assumption. The paper also includes a simulation of such an oracle, showing how the restriction affects performance. The rest of the paper describes the more classic technique of restricting an oracle to give answers simple enough that we hope they're not potentially manipulative, and frequently restarting the oracle. Researchers from ANU were also named authors on the paper. Thanks for listening. To help us out with the nonlinear library or to learn more, please visit nonlinear.org.